I have a question for you. How many of you like to talk about how things could or should be? Maybe you're known as having a soapbox, you know, or like, you know, and it could be anything. Like, it's amazing the subjects we can find to, to speak our mind on of how it should or could be. I mean, like your own health or someone else's health, not a good idea typically. Um, but, you know, like how it should be or your sports teams or the leagues and how they're going to pop. Maybe it's how, how instant replay is changing the game. And you talk about how it could or should be or maybe it's, you know, your community that you live in, that you care about. Maybe it's your relationships of family or friends. Maybe it's your church that you like to talk about how it should or could be. The list goes on. By the way, like this is me. I, I am a person that loves to think and talk about what could be. You name it, I am, I am so like, like head in the clouds, way off in the future. Everything could be improved. Everything, could, every, every, everything and everyone has so much potential. So I always like naturally default to what could be, which is a gift sometimes. And also some of you know is a curse sometimes. And I'm sure I have worn some of you out. There is a question that stops me in my tracks. It just makes me go, like, I'm just head of steam. I'm like, oh, what? And it's the question of, so what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about that? You, you want this to change. You want this to happen. You see that this could be. What are you doing about it? And that's just like, oh, well, what would you ask that for? Like, I just wanted to talk about it for a little bit. You know, and so, like, dreams and goals are fun thinking about what could be, but they don't lead to anything if you don't ask that question. And so when we think about disciplines of life, that's really what disciplines of life are about. It's the what are you going to do about it? How are you going to get to what you want? We understand and accept disciplines of life every day, right? If you want to make it to work on time and keep your job, you do what? You set an alarm. You get a good night's rest. You, you prepare. If, if you want to run a marathon, what do you do? You train. You do. If you want to date, you brush your teeth. And our pediatrician told our kids, you brush your teeth at night to keep your teeth, and you brush your teeth in the morning to keep your what? your friends. And so take that with you. It's a great life lesson. So again, if there's something you want, the disciplines of life are the things that we naturally do to get there, and we don't scoff at them. It's actually quite natural. We do it. So as we continue to think about and teach about spiritual disciplines, which is what we're doing and what we've been doing, they're no different. The spiritual disciplines of our life are the same thing. They are the means in which we answer the question, what are you going to do about it in our life of faith? Whether it's the world that we desire to see as a result of God's love and truth, redeeming and restoring and transforming, or whether it's personally the things that you desire maybe to be free from or to be a part of, what are you going to do about it? The spiritual disciplines are the answers to these questions is what we've been talking about. And so as we think about this, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we're not only saved eternally, praise God for that, but it's so much more. We're made part of a new family. We're made totally new. We're given new hearts, new names, new identity. And we're also given new desires for a new purpose of life, which is transformed. So these spiritual disciplines are no different. So just to kind of quickly remind us, these spiritual disciplines, they, they, they don't save us at all. <laughs> they don't earn us any favor from God. They don't make him love us more. Just a quick little headline reminder, why does God love you? 
He loves you because he loves you. He loves you because you're his. There is nothing we can do to change that. Yes, our sin and rebellion grieves him and breaks his heart, but it never causes his love to waver. You can never convince him to love you more or to love you less. So just to be really clear, in these disciplines, so they don't do that. What these disciplines do is, again, just to kind of remind, they make your, the, the, kind of the soil of your life fertile for flourishing. And so that's what we've been talking about, what, whether it's starving a, a temporal affection so that we have room for eternal affections with God to grow, whether it's, whether it's just the very kind of, the, the, the kind of being in the refiner's fire and in the, in the different ways in which we engage or abstain. We've been talking about that over the last year, kind of in and out. So today we're going to look at the spiritual discipline of fellowship. You're like, that's a discipline? Yes, it is, because a discipline is anything that you intentionally and willfully do in order to attain a desired or expected or needed result. So today we're going to talk about the spiritual discipline of fellowship, and I'm excited to talk about this. If you know, I'm kind of a people person, so fellowship, I'm like, oh, good, I like this one a lot. Like, I, like, I, get, I get to tell people to come and hang out with me, and I get to tell people, I have to hang out with you, and you have to let me. So, like, this is a really exciting one. And so I'm, I am excited about it for personal reasons, but I'm also excited about it for just some other really important reasons, and one, that relationships matter because people matter. Relationships matter because people matter, and God created us to need people. He is our totally sufficient one. He supplies everything we need, but also when he created Adam, and Adam was in living in perfect creation, he looked at his prized creation, and he said it's not good for him to be alone. And yet, it, everything was perfect, and he was in total union with God, and part of it is, I'm going to get ahead of myself, but part of it is that he needed relationship with people. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. But people need relationship. There are too many lonely people in this world. There are too many lonely people in this room. And so I am, I am excited and grateful that we get to talk about the intentional uh, invitation and pursuit of fellowshipping uh, together. There's a beauty in relationship. It's designed to be there. But again, we live in a fallen world. We are fallen people. We, we struggle. There, so this beauty is, the, the, the beauty of, of this relationship is only rivaled by the possibility of the peril that relationships bring as well that we, that we all know too well. Uh, Timothy Savage of the Gospel Coalition said it well. He said, people today are trying to put one foot in front of the other and sustain a meaningful existence but are consistently sinking into the quicksand of uncertainty and confusion. Looking for relationships, they absorb wounds of the soul. I mean, we've all been wounded by relationships. Craving companionship, they become mired in loneliness. Seeking assurance, they are riddled by self-doubt. Yearning for security, they are racked by anxiety. It's amazing how such a beautiful gift can be the cause for so much of our turmoil. God's gift of fellowship is a grace in the midst of all such things. But obviously, we need help to experience that. The second reason I'm excited about teaching about the discipline of fellowship is this, is that our right understanding of fellowship is one of the keys, and really one of the major keys, to a healthy 
ecclesiology. Anybody know what that word ecclesiology? It's, it's the doctrine of, of the church, what the church is, what the church exists to be, and what the church exists to do. John Stott, one of our, our great modern theologians, a great Englishman, he, he was asked, what is the most neglected doctrine in, in the church today? And you would think that he might have said theology, the doctrine of God. You would think that maybe he said soteriology, the doctrine of how we are saved and redeemed in Christ. But instead, he said, it is our attention to a right ecclesiology, a right understanding of who and what the church is meant to be. He says that is what is most neglected in the church today. Fellowship is about relationship right? I mean, that, that makes sense. And if we think about what the church is, what the church is not, it is not a building. It is not an organization. The church is a people. And to be a people, people, to say that we are a people, say that we have a common belonging. It says that we have a relationship. You can't be a people without relationship. So today, as we look at the spiritual discipline of fellowship, we'll start off as we've done, it's kind of the same map we've done every time we've done spiritual gifts, right? We'll start off by defining it, and then, and then we will see how the discipline of fellowship works as a guide to growing in our intimacy with God, to growing in our liberation from the burden of sin, and to growing to becoming more like Christ. So with that, let me pray, and we will work through this. Um, God... Um, We need you, Lord. Um, hearing, Lord, the gift of relationship and yet knowing how much damage and destruction has been inflicted through relationships, God, we obviously um, are experiencing, Lord, the, the, the infection of sin, the damage of a fallen world, Lord, a wayward heart that seeks to satisfy and use um, or be in, in Lord, we've all experienced that, and we've all experienced being used as well. So, Lord, we need your understanding this morning. We need your help. We want to be what you created us to be. And I pray as we work through all of this and talk about what it is to pursue fellowship well, that it would never, ever come before our pursuit of you. And we would understand that if we are to have any kind of fellowship together that is one of grace and one of gospel purpose and one of seeing this world transformed and redeemed and impacted by Jesus, Lord, it has to start with each of us, Lord, knowing you, loving you, being loved by you, growing in you, Lord. And um, so we just surrender this time. Lord, again, I ask that you would speak through me or in spite of me, God. I pray that you would take the words that pass through my, my lips and will catch them aflame in our hearts, or that we would continue to be transformed and made new into the likeness of Jesus. Lord, for your glory, Lord, for the good of this world, and Lord, um, we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Hebrews 10. We are going to be all over the place. So we're just starting there because that's where we're starting. And, and it is hard to pick one passage to teach on kind of this, why, like this, this discipline of fellowship because it is so pervasive. It is such a thrust of all of Scripture. 
And so we really, it, we'll be kind of going through a bunch of text. So maybe if you're, if you're using a physical Bible, it may be a little tough to keep up. We'll have the, the scripture on the, text, on the screen as well. We also use the YouVersion Bible app, and, mu- and much of the scripture is in the YouVersion Bible app. If you click on more, click on events, we'll pop up. You can follow along there. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at all, we would love, uh, there's a Bible near you on the floor. We would love for you to take that. That's our gift to you. Um, so we're going to just, you know, thinking about the spiritual discipline of fellowship, we're going to start just with a couple of passages that call us to the importance of life together, that call us to the importance of fellowship to kind of get us going through this. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, one of my favorites, says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. And if you grew up around the church, you kind of probably experienced a, a reality where kind of your gathering was much about just information transfer. It was about teaching, which, you know, Paul here says, I didn't just share the gospel of God with you, the good news of Jesus, the teaching of who Jesus is, but I shared my life with you as well, because you are dear to us. So there is a charge to gather together to, to the willful work of not neglecting that opportunity to come together. And intentionality in sharing yourselves with one another. We, you heard Joe say it earlier that we, we value, we work towards knowing each other and being known by others. Taking the risk and stepping into putting yourself out there to possibly be rejected, which again is terrifying. But yet, and then we also take the risk of opening up to be known. We talked a lot about vulnerability and confession last week. So, we, so it's important. So we, we, we willfully work together. We, we don't neglect that as well as sharing being true and real and vulnerable. So, but before we can define the spiritual discipline of fellowship, we also need to, to make sure to define fellowship itself rightly. Right? So let's take a few minutes to do that. So, so, bef- so fellowship is certainly more than friendliness. It is certainly more than, some, than like the, the, kind of the, the relationships that are bound together by superficial things. Right? And superficial sounds a little overly negative. We're just saying like temporal, surfacey things that gather us together. Common interests, common, common experiences, common... geography, whatever. There are these things that naturally gather us together. And what we have to know is that it is much more than that. Because the fellowship we're talking about is is a result of something God created, something God designed and desires, something that God is working in. And while he created all things, we know that our fellowship must be more than, than than what the world um, partakes in. So it's more than that. All those things are fine, but they're temporal. There's something where the fellowship we're talking about 
is eternal. And it's eternal, it's eternal for a couple reasons. First, our fellowship is eternal because of where it comes from. Our fellowship is born out of nothing less than the eternal, others-focused, self-emptying love of God. This, this is the love of God that existed before anything else existed. I love it. Uh, one of our kids last week, Tucker, he asked, who created God? And it just blew his mind to say, nobody. He always existed. And he's like, well, no, that can't be true because to exist, you have to be created. And we were like, you know, an eight-year-old. Like, we're like, well, no, like, I understand it's hard for the brain to comprehend, but God always was. He was before was ever was. You understand that, Tucker? Like, he's like, oh, I got that. Okay. No, he's like, so. <laughs> but, but this is the, the, this love of God, this others-focused, self-emptying love existed before anything existed when it was God. How can we know that? Because God existed in the Trinity for all of eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they existed in this others-focused love amongst the Trinity. God loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Holy Spirit loves them. It is this others-focused, self-emptying love. And you're like, well, how can the self-emptying love exist then? Well, because God doesn't change. He is un changing, and we see this love exhibited in the love of Christ. And Paul wrote about it. He described it in Philippians 2 when he said, hey, Jesus, who was God, didn't consider this equality with God something to hold on to, a right to call his. He humbled himself. He left the throne. He came to earth, took on flesh, and that was humbling enough, but then he went even farther. What did he do? He humbled himself by taking on what? Death. And death on the cross, that's self-emptying love. He poured himself out for our sake. This is the love that has existed before anything existed. This is the love that brought us into being. As God created us for his holy purpose, he created us in this same existing love. And when we said, he said, it's not good for Adam to be alone, it was because he knew that there, for them to exhibit his image in this world, they needed to have the opportunity to live in this other's focus, self-emptying love. So our fellowship is eternal because it comes from this love of God that always was. It's what our fellowship is made of. It is nothing less than that love of God, the other's focus, self-emptying love. So second, our fellowship is eternal because of what our fellowship is made of. And this is one of our anchor verses. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And that just sounds like activity. But notice, you can't miss, we don't want to miss how important these things are. These are eternal things. As, the, as the, our fellowship consists of, of teaching, what we're teaching is the eternal truth of God. And what is the truth of God? Yes, it is, command, it is His commands, but we have to remember that all truth of God is revealing the person of God, the heart of God. And so again, coming back to, if we end up focusing on just how we relate out of this, we have missed the boat. What this has to drive us to and what our fellowship is going to eventually and, and ultimately do is to cultivate a people who are in awe of, awe of God. If you were to keep reading here in Acts 2.42, you would see that all came upon every soul. And through that, 
through that, there's also we saw this great reaching of the gospel to those who do not know him. So we see it consists of eternal truth, the teaching, and then what? Fellowship. That's the eternal love that we just talked about. This fellowship is, again, not just, not just proximity. It is the content of our relationship that is that love of God. And then eternal provision that we see in the breaking of bread. We'll take communion today in just a moment. And it is a remembering, a, a, a reflecting on and modeling and patterning our lives over every time we come to the table. We are remembering God's provision of love and grace for us in Christ. And so every time we break bread, we are remembering his eternal provision. We have the opportunity to. And then in the prayers. And I, in prayers, we are, we are participating in eternal relationship. And prayer is, is it's relational. It's an exchange between us and God. It's an exchange between us and God and one another. So you see that even our fellowship consists of eternal things. The fellowship that sets us apart in the gift of Jesus from, from what we see in the world. Again, what is good, but this is what is more so the Greek words translated fellowship throughout the New Testament, when you bring them together, they, they mean essentially a partnership to the mutual benefit of those involved. A partnership to the mutual benefit of, the, of those involved. Do you hear that? Others focused, self-sacrificing, self-emptying. And, and kind of the main word we associate that we read here is koinonia, I like that word. I've always liked it since I was a kid. I don't typically bring out the Greek when I'm teaching, but I just like koinonia. It's just as a fun word. But it is kind of the main word that we really understand fellowship to be. And a powerful example of what koinonia should look like can be found in a study of these phrases that we see throughout the New Testament, these one another phrases. And it's worth your time to go do a study of the one another text. There are at least 59 distinct one another text because there are, of course, some overlap because of the Gospels. As Jesus taught, they all, some of them reported the same teaching. But we know of at least 59 distinct one another exhortations. Here are a few that we see if we want to see this beautiful picture of koinonia. They'll, they'll kind of flash through on the screen. I know this is not going to be up there long enough for you to write down. If you want these texts, feel free to reach out to me. I'll email them to you. Um, so we see Scripture commands us to be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10, Scripture calls us to honor one another, again in Romans 12.10, to live in harmony with one another. I'm going to quit saying the passages. You can see them up there. To accept one another, to serve one another in love, be kind and compassionate to one another, to admonish one another, which is to lovingly come alongside and correct and advocate for truth to encourage one another, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, to offer hospitality to one another, and to love one another. That's what God has shown us in his truth to be the fellowship offered to you and me as those who are in Christ. If you look to your right, you'll see these Venn diagrams. The one on the left, where it says shared life, shared worship, shared service. That's, that's the postures of life in which we're, where this kind of fellowship takes place. 
And it's the, it's the everyday life. It is where we, we, are, we are known by each other. Again, we won't all have this relationship with each other, but you will have it with a few. And it's those people that know you closer than a brother and sister that know what's going on with you before you tell them because you're sharing the real things of life. Shared worship is, is not just this. It certainly is this. But it's also anytime we come together to, and we end up intentionally worshiping our Father, our Heavenly Father together, and then shared service, that's both as we serve one another in love and as we serve the world together. And so these are kind of, that's why, that's why this is here. If you look at all that we do, we really try to just create space for these things to happen. And so know that whatever you see that we do, we're just trying to support you participating in this kind of fellowship. So that's our joy, and it's really fun thing to pursue, although it's really difficult sometimes. Um, our fellowship is nothing less than a work of God's grace where we are naturally consumed by the desire and enjoyment of fellowship with the living God that permeates our fellowship with one another. I feel like I should say that again, so I will. Our fellowship is nothing less than a work of God's grace where we are naturally consumed by the desire and enjoyment of fellowship with the living God that permeates our fellowship with one another. So we see that our fellowship with the living God is, is what fuels our fellowship with one another and then vice versa. So what's the definition of the spiritual discipline of fellowship, if that's what fellowship is? So here's my best stab at it. Um, fellowship is this, a corporate discipline of engagement where we purposefully prioritize time with relationships in the body of Christ in life, service, gathered worship, and play in order to greater experience the Spirit's gifts of grace and better express the heart of God in the gospel of Jesus. It's a lot, but it's a lot. So that's okay. When we say corporate, we're talking about a, a discipline that we pursue together. One of the di most difficult things about our way of life is that we're only as strong as we are, as we are in this pursuit, in this expression. It, it, it really is. And so we, we have to pursue it with a lot of grace and patience but it is one that we pursue together and that we prioritize together. It is a call to us to, to intentionally pursue this kind of fellowship. And then we, we described as one of engagement. It is, there, there are disciplines of engagement and dis disciplines of abstinence. Those things you, you, you abstain from for the sake of your affection growing uh, or your, your character growing to be more like Christ or the things we engage to participate in. And so this is a corporate discipline of engagement. So how does the spiritual discipline of fellowship act as a guide to growing in intimacy with God, growing in our freedom from the burden of sin, and growing and becoming more like Christ? So we're going to go through these pretty quick. So first off, fellowship works to grow our intimacy with God in this way. We are loving each other with the very love of God. We've already said that. And so we have to understand that when we come together in this, this others-focused, self-emptying love, we are loving each other with the very love of God. And as we do that, we, of course, minister the love of God, and therefore, we, we get to grow in our intimacy with God, our experience of Him. So, so many of us desire an experiential relationship with God. And, man, I'll tell you, it is certainly subjective in the sense of how we relate and the Holy Spirit working in us. But I'll tell you, if there's two, two ingredients that we often neglect and yet and say we, we want this experience with God, one is the word. We don't pursue God in his word. And two, pursuing God with his people. 
We need both of those. And that's that full picture. Again, if you come back to Acts 2.42, they were committed to the apostles' teaching. And so we see these coming together. So because we are loving each other with the love of God, we are actually growing our intimacy with God as we pursue this kind of fellowship. We are fellowshipping in his truth and ministering his grace and doing his work. I mean, that is lots of time with the Lord. And make no mistake, he designed the church to be that. Again, he is the one who satisfies. He is the one who, de- who, who deserves all of our affection. But yet he has made it so that we actually grow and experience him through each other. Again, thinking about what we said in Acts 2.42 and what your fellowship is made of. I love what uh, Jeff Vanderstelt said in his book, Gospel Fluency. He says, you talk about what you love and you love what you talk about. So you think about our fellowship and how it can grow in, in intim- our intimacy with God and thinking about what we saw in Acts 2.42 and how all of these things that we, that we embody and pursue actually bring us into experiencing the eternal things of God. And so you talk about what you love and you love what you talk about. And if that's the true of us, that's true of us as each of us are, are experiencing this, this life in Christ of relationship with God and we are sharing that. We are not being shy to say what the Lord is teaching us today. We're not being afraid of being overly spiritual to say what we're going through and how God is encountering our needs with grace or stepping in to speak the gospel to someone who is struggling. What a gift and that will grow your intimacy with God. Luke 6.45 tells us that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so as you talk about what you love and you love what you talk about and that thing that you love is God above all else, how can we not grow each other's intimacy with God? It's a wonderful cycle of his grace that God has given us in our fellowship with him and one another. I want to read this passage. It's a little long. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love, is from, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, that's the substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. And by the way, to make sure we catch it, to say no one has ever seen God and to follow with those statement is that we, our fellowship and our, and our life in Christ together is an opportunity for people to see God. Do you see all that was in this passage? God loved us first. We see that he loved us first. In loving us, we can love him. In loving him, we can love others as he loves us. In loving others, we experience the love of God all the more, and the cycle continues. So we see that in this, this pursuit of God-given fellowship as an act, as, as a gift of grace, we actually can grow in our intimacy with God, which so many of us desire and we feel like we are missing. So then we see this, this work of the spiritual discipline of fellowship also helps us to grow in our freedom from the burden of sin. Last week, we talked about confession, the discipline of confession, and, and the importance of, of bringing our lives into the light because that which is brought into light is made light. 
and we are living in the freedom of grace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we see the importance of vulnerability and confession and in imparting grace and forgiveness on one another as God's stewards of his truth and love and grace. I love what Brene Brown said. She said, you can't have relationship without vulnerability. So as we love each other with God's others-focused, self-emptying love, we invite each other into courageous vulnerability, which helps personally fight against sin. And it also gives us the opportunity to advocate for one another. You say you love someone, I mean, don't let them touch a hot stove. Don't let them fall on their own sword. Like you step in, you advocate. And so this gives that opportunity to advocate for one another by helping each other live in the freedom of the light and deliverance of Jesus. What a gift of grace we have with one another. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's brothers and sisters, by the way, you who are spiritual... You who have grace, who have experienced the transforming truth of Jesus, should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burden. But to fulfill the law of Christ is to fulfill the law of love, the one that overcomes and transforms. So we see, excuse me, we do not have to carry this burden alone. So it's not just growing in our freedom from sin. It's also that the burden is lightened by this opportunity we have with one another. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We don't have to carry the burden of our sin alone. We talked about last week just the work of confession, inviting us into that freedom from condemnation to one another as we live free with our identity intact in Christ, our worth coming from the the act of love by God and not by any of our performance or by what others say about us. We are participating in this, lightening each other's burden of sin because we see and we remind each other that Jesus is taking care of that burden. And we help each other grow in staying rooted in that. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that sharpening is a honing for the purpose for that which you were created. And you were created for the glory of God. You were created for relationship with him. You were created for wholeness. You were created to thrive as God intended. And so as we are sharpening, we are returning to that purpose. We are returning. This kind of fellowship takes God's other, God's others focused and self-emptying love to do iron on iron is, it is violent. Iron on iron is hard. It's friction. It's tiring, and it's messy. We often just say, mm, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to step in with said person right now. I, I don't know if I can go through this again. But because of the grace, the unending grace and love we have experienced, we are equipped to step in once again. We are equipped to say, God, I don't have it, but you do. Give me strength and grace as I step in with my brother and sister right now.
So that's how this work, this discipline of fellowship grow, guides us to grow in our, in our experiencing of freedom from the burden of sin. And then we see that it also guides us to growing and becoming more like Christ as we come to an end. <clears throat> this work is certainly connected to our liberation from the burden of sin. Certainly. It is certainly, becoming more like Christ is the output of our life in so many ways. And so as we, as we are walking freer and freer from the sin that so easily entangles in our lives, we're looking more like the selfless, generous, sacrificial, purposefulness, unending lovingness of Jesus. Of course, that's related to being free from the burden of sin. But it's also prayerfully, we see that our fellowship is one that exists in an exists of, of extending the same invitation Paul made to others as he said, follow me as I follow Christ. So as we have the joy as we are today saying that to one another and seeing it bring the fruit of the gospel, we think that we have to have so much time under our belts to be able to say that. But if Jesus has transformed you, if he's claimed you, if you have a new name in him, guess what? You get to say today, follow me as I follow Christ. And it will have, it will bear the spiritual fruit of the gospel in those around you. So what we see is this both and. It will naturally result in us individually becoming more like Christ as we benefit from the very journeys and workings in each other. We need each other for this gracious work of God. There's also a communal work of us becoming more like Christ as we see it's not just individual as we live in the unity given by God through Jesus, we will exhibit a greater manifestation of the manner of the Messiah as a whole. It is the church as a whole in which the gates of hell will not prevail. It is as we come together and we see in the way that we are complementarily gifted and created as laid out in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 that we, the beautiful tapestry, tapestry of our diversity brought together by the unity of Jesus that we actually show the world a truer picture of who Jesus is than any one of us can do on our own. So it's a corporate work, it's a communal work of us becoming more like Christ as we live in this fellowship our becoming like Jesus is about so much more than our moral behavior, individually or collectively. It is about God's redeeming work in this world. And so if we want to say we want to be like Christ individually and corporately, it is, it is also going to result in being like Christ in his purpose. It is through our unity and others-focused, self-giving love for one another that we will show the world the love of Jesus and prayerfully see them come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Here's the reality of koinonia. If we say we are committed to the cause of Christ, we must be committed to the fellowship of the body of Christ. And inverse is true as well. If we say we are committed to the fellowship of the body of Christ, we must be committed to the cause of Christ. We have to fight for the and. We've got to, we've got to be a people that love deeply and, 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 and hold fiercely to the family God has given us, but we have to fight for the end that we are that we are a family living together, caring for one another, and we are a family that lives on mission for the glory of God and the gospel. 
and the good of the world around us. Our heart beats with that blood with every intake and outflow. It is working to do this gathering and scattering of the fellowship of the body of Christ for the sake of the gospel in you and all the world. John 17, 23-23 says, The glory that you've given me I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And in the world knowing that, they will know Jesus and they will know salvation and redemption. John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my, my disciples and if you, if you have love for one another. And if they know that we are his disciples, they will be encountering the love and truth of Jesus. So I want to close just with a few questions for prayerful reflection and maybe application. Just for you to consider, take with you, and, and see what the Lord does with them. How vital do you see our community to be in your own growth? Your experiencing of the love of God. You're experiencing a freedom from the burden of sin. You're growing to become more like Christ in both his manner and his mission. How vital do you see our community to be for your own growth and that mission of the gospel to your community and the world? Have you considered what you have today to bring to the table for the betterment of each other? Look at the people to your left and right, if you so dare. It's a scary thing because you're taking responsibility for them if you do. What do you have to bring to the table for the betterment, for the, for the transforming work of the gospel and the truth of Jesus and the love of God in each other's lives? What has he done in you already that you have to share? What is your life experience and your life journey? What are the things you've been through that God's grace has worked and reform? What are the things that you've gone through that you have the opportunity to invite others into? That's a work of grace as well, to trust someone enough to, to invite in with you. What do you have? How can you take a step of practicing the discipline of fellowship? Then I want to ask you to pray this. Will you pray that we would see a true fruit of revival in us resulting in a vibrant fellowship of faith and that fellowship reaching the lost in our community and world? If you're committed to the cause of Christ, you've got to be committed to the fellowship of the body of Christ. If you're committed to the fellowship of the body of Christ, you have to be committed to the cause of Christ. They are inseparable. God, we surrender this time to you. Continue your work in us. Let us be in awe of your other's focus, self-emptying love that has always been and that shines so brightly on the cross of Jesus and Lord was victorious in his resurrection. Let us find ourselves in that promise. Let us define our fellowship by that work. Let us be about nothing else than, uh, other than your glory and your love and truth. Lord, permeating this world. So Lord, uh, use this time. Help us to remember in Jesus' name.